Hi there. Of course, Halloween is right around the corner, and it occurred to me recently that the greatest Halloween-appropriate rap song of all time and the greatest Halloween-appropriate rap verse of all time just celebrated its 10-year anniversary last week. So, with that in mind, I've decided to postpone the Snoop Doggy Dog verse until next time. Hope that's okay. If you want to support the podcast, please leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. It would mean a lot to me. And of course, today's episode does contain some explicit language, and listener discretion is advised. The year is 2010. In many ways, it was a simpler time. But if you were an aspiring rapper who also happened to be a female, then things were already not looking very good for you right off the bat. It hadn't been since June of 2003 that a female rapper in a lead position had had a number one song on the Billboard Hot Rap Songs chart. And mind you, that's the chart that ranks only the top rap songs. So today's episode is, in part, the story of how that streak finally came to an end. But it's also the story of the woman who's responsible for ending it. Our story today takes place entirely in the year 2010. At the beginning of that year, this woman was a virtually unknown side member in Lil Wayne's record label. And by the end of the year, she was arguably the most important female rapper of all time. We're going to talk about what it took for her to get there, the sacrifices that she had to make, and the unavoidable criticisms that she faced along the way, and still faces to this day. Welcome to Anatomy of a Verse, the podcast that examines rap music and hip-hop culture one verse at a time. I'm Max Maples, and today we're talking about the one and only Nicki Minaj. Here's a little story that must be told. It's a music that is all beat and talk. It's rap music. We don't do that in my music, man. I'm tired of you saying that. Yeah, how about the gang rape on you? But when it comes to the children, Wu-Tang is for the children. You had a, a rap singer here last night named Sister Soldier. And they, they, they've given them permission to go down and shoot us. It's the It's not actually a form of music, it's a, it's a form of rhythmic speech. They have murdered a rock, I entered a stone, and a hospital as a brick. I'm so bad I make medicine sick. On January 2nd of the year 2010, a Twitter user named Bella Simone tweeted, quote, I'm trying to get my boobs signed by at Nicki Minaj tonight, end quote. To which at Nicki Minaj promptly responded, hashtag Roger Dat. Signing boobs was a calling card for Nicki Minaj. It was a way for her to get close to her core fans, who absolutely idolized her. She had recently started referring to them as Barbies, or Barbs for short. Her fans meant everything to her. She had spent four long years building up an impressive online following of dedicated barbs, mostly by promoting her mixtapes on the website MySpace. This eventually led to her being signed to Young Money Entertainment. And she had even been doing a good chunk of her own management work, booking gigs for herself, often directly through her own personal Gmail account. And at every gig when she showed up, she made sure to bring 
her special pink Sharpie. For what, you ask? Well, for signing boobs, of course. This was a way for her to meet her barbs up close, to give them an unforgettable picture that they could post on social media. And maybe most importantly, it was a way for her to identify with them as strong, sexually empowered females. Because, well, the vast majority of Nikki's fans were women. And in early 2010, this was unusual, to say the least. You see, record labels, to put it bluntly, saw rapping as a man's game. In fact, Nicki Minaj was one of only three female rappers who was signed to any major record label at this time. If we compare that to the early 90s, when there were over 40 female rappers signed to major labels, we can see that even with all her dedicated barbs supporting her, the expectations were still not particularly high. The only female rappers that were successful were really not rappers at all. They were white girls like Fergie and Kesha, and all due respect to them, they were pop stars, not MCs. For them, rapping was sort of a sassy novelty act. And Nicki Minaj was not the sassy novelty act kind of rapper. Nikki grew up in Southside Jamaica, Queens in New York City. She moved there from the island of Trinidad when she was only five years old. A student of hip-hop, listening to classic rappers like Slick Rick, and crafting her own style based on legendary female MCs like Lil' Kim and the very British Moni Love. Nikki was aggressive, she was clever, and she was sexy. But she had something else, too. Something extra that really made her stand out. You know what I mean? Or then we can go to, like, London, and we can, like, be terribly, like, talking like this, and I'd be like, oh, my brain is all scrambled. You know, <laughs> I'd be like, hey, mate, why, why, are you, why are you talking to my woman, mate? Like, you can't do that, mate. Jabari, go back to acting lessons and get your freaking accents right. If you want to learn how to talk like that, I can teach oh, that you. That was Australia. Yeah, you was, was, was in Australia. I was in freaking Manchester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You understand? Nikki was a theater girl at heart. She had studied acting at New York City's famous LaGuardia High School for Performing Arts. She said of her experience there, quote, that was the first time I felt like I really fit in. Everyone there was creative, and for once, I didn't feel like there was something weird about me, end quote. While she was at LaGuardia High School, she developed a love for accents, characters, and just being generally dramatic and theatrical. And these aspects of her personality quickly became a key part of her rapping. This is January of 2010. The song, Out My Face, by Mariah Carey, featuring Nicki Minaj. This was Nicki's first feature appearance of 2010. In the music video, she and Mariah Carey are seen standing in Barbie doll boxes, pretending to be, well, Barbie dolls. The song did not chart very well. It barely made it onto the Billboard Hot 100 at all. But her next feature would get her 
a lot more attention. My chick bad, my chick hood, my chick do stuff that your chick wish you could. This is February of 2010, and the song My Chick Bad by Ludacris, featuring Nicki Minaj. This song is about a girlfriend that's tough and sexy and not afraid to get down and dirty, if you know what I mean. It's a concept that is, like most things in hip-hop, based on a man's perspective. But Nicki's guest verse cleverly takes this idea in a slightly different direction. It's going down, basement, Friday the 13th, guess who's playing Jason? Tuck yourself in, you better hold on to your teddy. It's Nightmare on Elm Street, and guess who's playing Freddy? Chef cooking for me, they say my shoe came crazy, the mental asylum looking for me. The song My Chick Bad made it to number two on the Hot Rap Songs chart and number 11 on the Hot 100. And it was the first time that a guest verse from Nicki Minaj would really carry someone else's song to a new level of quality. And it all had to do with her over-the-top theatrical performance. And this was all well and good, but she was ready to start putting out music of her own. Her mixtapes had done amazing things for her, but they were low-budget underground recordings, and mostly she was using beats that other rappers had already used. And now, at this point in her career, she had access to way more resources, and she was ready to prove to the world that a female rapper could have a hit song. She was ready to show everyone the real Onika Mirage from Jamaica, Queens. She was ready to hit him hard. No, no one got the ammo. That's why I bulletproof the Lambo. In the Middle East, on the camo. Running through the jungle. Rambo. Liberace's hangout. Swinging on the vine. Mango. Mango. So call me Simba, little mama. Cause Mufasa couldn't stop a bitch. I flatten on that chopper. Just a Bible. And see, I got it. Just me, Mr. Me. I get in the Phantom. I die. I go and block. I'm out of fuck. I got that big rocket launcher. This is April of 2010, and Nicki Minaj's debut single as a lead artist. The song, Massive Attack. It was, commercially, a massive flop. It peaked at number 65 on the Hot Rap Songs chart, and it did not show up at all on the Hot 100. There are a lot of theories about what went wrong with this song, but 10 years later, there doesn't really seem to be any solid consensus, and a lot of her fans seem to agree that the song actually is pretty good. And we see more evidence of this if we look at the song's YouTube video and online streaming numbers, which were very good compared to its charting position. And this makes sense because, remember, Nicki's fans connected with her mostly through social media websites like Twitter and MySpace, but Unfortunately for her, back in 2010, Billboard did not count YouTube hits and other streaming numbers towards placement on their charts. I think if we zoom out and we look at the charts objectively, the simplest explanation for why this song tanked is probably right in front of our faces. The industry was simply not built for a skilled female MC to sell records as a lead artist. The last time that a female rapper had done the kind of numbers that Nicki was expecting for this song was in 2005 or maybe 2006. And those were firmly established female MCs. For a solo female rapper, 
to hit big on her debut single, Forget It. That hadn't been done since Lauryn Hill in 1999. And with Lauryn Hill, most of her crossover commercial success didn't even come from her rapping, although her rapping was obviously incredible. A lot of her success came from her singing. And at this point, Nicki Minaj might have been thinking to herself, hmm... This is June of 2010, Nicki Minaj's second single as a lead artist. The song, Your Love. Your Love was the first of many, many singles that would downplay Nicki's ferociousness as a rapper and instead focus more on her singing. Nikki had done a complete 180 and was now taking a different road to success. She was going full pop star. And whether you choose to call it being smart or selling out, the fact is that it worked. The song Your Love made it to number 14 on the Hot 100. And it was the first song by a female rapper to hit number one on the Hot Rap Songs chart in seven years. I can only imagine that, after the failure of Massive Attack, Nikki must have felt extremely relieved when this song did as well as it did. But on the other hand, I think there was part of her that was very disappointed. She wanted to sell records on the strength of her talents as a rapper. She wanted to prove to the world that she could eat any male rapper alive and have room left over for dessert. But the industry did not see her that way. They weren't ready for that Nicki Minaj. At least, not on songs where she was the lead artist. When it came to other people's songs, though, that seemed to be a different story. This is July of 2010, and the song... Bottoms Up by Trey Songs, featuring Nicki Minaj. And this was the first time, but certainly not the last time, that Nicki would totally, hands down, no questions asked, completely steal the show on somebody else's song. She took what would otherwise have been a fairly typical R&B song about drinking alcohol in the club, and she made it fun and funny and just totally bonkers in a way that nobody expected. The song got to number six on the Billboard Hot 100, Nikki's highest charting song with an official credited feature. And her verse was singled out and universally praised by fans and critics. This was something that she really needed after the failure of Massive Attack. It was a reassurance that Nikki was still a powerful presence, not just as a pretty pink pop star, but also as a serious rapper. Fast forward to August 3rd, 2010. 
Nicki Minaj tweeted something that all of her barbs had been eagerly awaiting for a long time. The title and release date of her debut album. And immediately, it became the second most anticipated rap album of the year. The only album more anticipated was the one that Kanye West was about to drop. There were rumors going around about his secret rap camp recording studio that he had set up out in Hawaii, and how he had flown out all these different people to collaborate with, hip-hop legends, young and old, rappers, singers, producers, engineers, all these people staying up all through the night to work on his album. And on August 11th, 2010, Kanye surprised everyone, popping into the New York City radio station Hot 97 to give an impromptu interview where he said this. The scariest artist in the game right now is that the scariest artist is definitely uh, Nicki Minaj. Mm. Mm. I don't know her um, well enough on a business sense, um, you know, in a business way to know what she's yeah, capable she, of yeah, doing. She yeah, she got the mentality to do it. And she the verse that right? she did on my... Uh, Ooh. Uh, yeah, did you just say the verse that she did on your album that <laughs> you sure weren't did. supposed to say she did? <laughs> he sure did. Is that which on the album that you weren't supposed to say is coming out on November 16th? Yeah, uh, <laughs> there I go again. It happens. During the interview that you were not supposed to be doing today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> good, that's good. And the song that Kanye is talking about here is the subject of today's episode. Released officially on October 23rd, 2010, the song Monster. Gossip, gossip, nigga, just stop it. Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. Profit, profit, nigga, I get it. Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster. Now, before we get into the analysis, I'd like to start by addressing something that I haven't really seen anyone talk about. The fact that Kanye West's song Monster has kind of a strange number of similarities to the Nicki Minaj song, Massive Attack. There is, of course, the frequent use of the word monster in both songs, but also both songs have this lion roar sound that features prominently in the beat. And also there's just the fact that Kanye had never featured a female rapper on any of his solo albums before. So I think for him to call Nicki out to his secret studio in Hawaii, it would have been very unlikely that he would have not heard the song Massive Attack at this point. And remember, Nicki considered the song Massive Attack a huge failure after it flopped commercially. She fired her manager after the song was released. She took it off of her album. She never performs it live, and basically she's spent her entire career pretending that the song doesn't exist. But I think that there's a decent possibility that had she not recorded that song, then this song and this verse that we're talking about today would not exist. Pull up in a monster automobile gangster With a bad bitch that came from Sri Lanka Yeah, I'm in a tanga, color a Willy Wonka You could be the king, but watch the queen conquer And when we're talking about this legendary verse, the name of the game is character rapping. And I don't mean the loosey-goosey, swaggerific kind of character rapping that was common in the 90s. 
I'm talking about real characters with different voices and personalities and backstories. A few days after this song was released, Nikki tweeted, quote, Yes, that is Roman on Monsta, mixed with Barbie and Nikki. Can you tell who's who? End quote. Roman is Roman Zelansky, or Zelansky. And Barbie is the Harajuku Barbie. And these are two of Nikki's alter egos. Roman is a crazy boy who lives in me. I think he was born out of rage. He was conceived in rage. So he bashes everyone. He threatens to beat people and he's violent. I don't want to blame him. I, I, I ask him to leave, but he can't. He's here for a reason. People have brought him out. People conjured him up. Now he won't leave. And here she is explaining the Harajuku Barbie character. So, you know, all girls, like sometimes girls will call themselves something Barbie, like Black Barbie or da 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 Barbie. And I don't know, one day I just woke up and put the two words together because I love the Harajuku um, culture because the way they dress is the way I am on the inside. Like, free-spirited, girls just want to have fun, kick ass, like, you know, pop, rock and roll, whatever the fuck you want to do, hip-hop. And I'm going to assume that, based on the Caribbean accent, the character who begins the monster-verse is the real Onika Mirage. Because, as we mentioned earlier, Nikki is from the island of Trinidad. Notice the pronunciation of the word gangsta. Pull up in a monster automobile gangsta With a bad bitch that came from Sri Lanka Yeah, I'm in a tanga, color a Willy Wonka You could be the king, but watch the queen come if you're listening on headphones, you may have noticed just then that Nikki's voice was ping-ponging between the left and right channels. And you may have also noticed there that she was doubling her voice at a lower register. I bring up these production techniques because I think it's important for us to know that these are not Kanye West production techniques. These are Nicki Minaj production techniques that she brought with her from studio to studio and from session to session. And we heard them on other songs earlier in the episode, like My Chick Bad and Massive Attack. Nikki had discovered early in her career that she had to be ruthlessly insistent on how her voice would sound, whether that was on a recording or a live performance. She had learned this lesson the hard way at the 2010 BET Awards, when her microphone was turned off on the broadcast mix. So people who were watching on TV thought that she was lip-syncing. But in reality, if you listen to this clip, you can hear in the background her live vocals getting picked up by other microphones on the stage. And you can hear that she's screaming every word. I wasn't happy about my BT Awards performance. It's kind of been haunting me forever since I did it. People thought I lip-synced and I didn't. To know that I didn't lip-sync and I really gave it my all and then after I had put all that work into it, that's what people were saying. I felt really, really upset. So 
So when Nikki says, you can be the king, but watch the queen conquer, she's not just throwing out some generic female empowerment cliche here. There's a lot within that one statement. As we've already mentioned, Nikki was dealing with obstacles that were unique to her as a female rapper. She had to develop a production and mixing style that was specific to her own voice, because obviously nobody else sounded like her. But on top of that, she had to be extra assertive about making sure that these things were executed the way she wanted. And this led to her developing a reputation as being difficult to work with. Every time I put my foot down and stand up for myself, it's like, we've heard about Nicki Minaj. <laughs> Nicki Minaj shut down a photo shoot. Oh my God, Everyone's, no one wants to work with Nicki Minaj. I'm glad you heard. Now, when I come to a photo shoot, let it be of quality. You know why? Because I put quality in what I do. I spend time and I spend energy and I spend effort and I spend everything I have, every fiber of my being to give people quality. So if I turn up to a photo shoot and you had and you got a $50 clothes budget and some sliced pickles on board, you want to know what? No, I am going to leave. Is that wrong for Wanting more for myself, wanting people to treat me with respect. But you know what? Next time they know better. But had I accepted the pickle juice, I would be drinking pickle juice right now. When I am assertive, I'm a bitch. When a man is assertive, he's a boss. Bossed up. He bossed up. Yeah, he bossed up. No negative connotation behind bossed up but lots of negative connotation behind being a bitch. And this is the frustration that Nikki is channeling through her character, Roman Zelansky, when she starts talking about all these monster-related things. We heard her earlier talk about monster trucks, and now she's going to continue with monster high heel shoes, monster hairdos, and her monster crew, Young Money Entertainment. But, of course, we all know the real monster on this song is Nikki herself. Or, I guess, Roman. When Nikki says, and if I'm fake, I ain't noticed cause my money ain't, she's addressing everyone who had accused her of being fake, either because of her image or because of her new pop-oriented sound. And the truth is that she had navigated the industry brilliantly. However, it's definitely possible that all of the shit that she had to put up with had taken a psychological toll on her. And this is when we see her first dramatic shift into a new character. The cute, baby-voiced, but also utterly terrifying Harajuku Barbie. Now, this is probably the most important part of the entire verse. Aside from the literal meaning of the lyrics, 
This transition that she does between the two voices, it's unlike anything that's ever been done on a microphone before or since. And I'm not exaggerating here. Yes, it's incredibly theatrical and it displays incredible vocal control and delivery, but also it's incredibly feminine. Remember, Roman Zelansky is a manifestation of Nikki's rage towards a system that didn't accept her for who she was, that didn't take her seriously, not because of her talents or her abilities, but just because she was a woman. And on the other hand, the Harajuku Barbie character is this distorted expression of femininity in its purest, most innocent state. So both of these characters have everything to do with being a woman. And this gives us a lot more insight into why Nikki's hordes of online fans, the Barbs, have always felt such an intense connection to her. So tall that my Barbie's gonna climb it Hotter than the Middle East and climb it Find it, 20 my Tyron, dirty wine it Wine it, Nikki on the bitters when I sign it She says, Nikki on them titties when I sign it. I believe we already know what this line is about, so I'll move on. The Tony Matterhorn Dutty Wine reference is another nod to Nikki's Caribbean heritage. Just for kicks, let's listen to a little clip of the 2006 global hit song Dutty Wine by Jamaican dancehall artist Tony Matterhorn, or as he would pronounce it, Tony Mataran. And now we return to, I think it's Roman Zelensky here, who is dismissing all the haters and once again bringing attention to the massive amounts of money being made, saying, Forget Barbie, fuck Nikki, Sh she's fake, she's on a diet, but my pocket's eating cheesecake. should Minaj Friday. Early on in her career, Nicki Minaj often played with the idea that she was bisexual. And here she is, suggesting that she, Kanye, and Kanye's girlfriend at the time, Amber Rose, should have a threesome. Amber and Nicki were already friends at this point, and Amber actually appeared in the music video for Massive Attack. Now, in the closing four bars of this verse, we'll hear more of that Nicki Minaj trademark ping-pong lead-in effect. But more importantly, this is the only time in the whole verse that Nikki gives us what I would refer to as classic New York City hip-hop lyricism, or just a lot of internal rhyming. Pink wig, thick ass, give em whiplash. Think big, get cash, make em blink fast. And it's kind of brilliant that she saves this couplet for the very end, just in case anyone still had any doubts that she knew what she was doing on a song with three of the most respected male rappers in the game. This is her proving to everyone that 
Not only does she have her own crazy unique style of character wrapping that nobody could ever touch in a million years, but also she can do exactly what the male rappers do. Not only that, but she can do it better. I think me, you and Am should menage Friday. Pink wig, thick ass, give them whiplash. I think big, get cash, make them blink fast. Now look at what you just saw. This is what you live for. I'm a motherfucking monster. And one of the most satisfying parts of this whole verse is how Kanye opts not to come back in with the chorus right after Nicki's verse. And instead, he just lets the beat ride for a good 20 seconds, letting us all digest the craziness that we just heard. This is what Cole Kushner on the Dissect podcast called a proverbial mic drop moment. Fast forward 10 years later, and now Nicki's verse on Monster is considered not just the best verse on the song or the best verse on the whole album, but also one of the best and most important verses of all time. And look, character rapping wasn't anything new to hip-hop. Alter egos, personas, folklore, these kinds of things have always been at the heart of hip-hop, ever since Africa Bambata and the Soul Sonic Force dressed up as Zulu warriors from outer space in the 70s. Characters in hip-hop are a way for rappers to live out their dreams and fantasies in music, whether that be dreams of money and fortune and fame, or dreams of an escape to a faraway planet, or dreams of murderous revenge and justice. And characters in hip-hop are also a tool that rappers use to take negative stereotypes and assumptions and flip them on their heads, using them instead as an advantage. Whether that be something like the N-word or rappers posturing as drug kingpins and pimps. But Nicki uses characters to take negative female stereotypes and give them that same hip-hop treatment. And honestly, it's fucking exciting to see this cutesy, pretty, pretty princess character morph like a transformer into this crazy, emotionally unhinged dragon lady or dragon gay man, I'm, I'm not sure. But really, it makes the other rappers on this song not just look silly, but also look kind of one-dimensional. And really, that's what makes Nicki so important to hip-hop, not just for female rappers, but for all rappers. In addition to all of her feminism and her insane lyricism and theatricality, to put it plain and simple, Nicki Minaj made hip-hop way more fun. There was one instance when Jay was on the track with a certain rapper. Wait, 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 wait. Anatomy of a Verse is created by me, Max Maples, in Brooklyn, New York. This episode is dedicated to Nikki's grandmother, who raised her in New York City for two years while her parents stayed in Trinidad to save up money. This, this, is, this verse was a turning moment. I just, I just want to revisit this for a second. Can we revisit this verse? You know where we're going with it. Okay, first things first, I'll eat your brain. Then I'm a- 
goat teeth and fangs. Next time, we're talking more about character rapping with the one and only Snoop Dogg. Thanks for listening. What? I ain't noticed because my money ain't. <laughs> you know they're going to do this all night, right? Hotter than the Middle Eastern climate. Tony Matara and Dutty Wynette. Nikki, you want them titties when I sign it? Okay, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we gonna be, that's amazing though. I love-